Good morning, everybody. Howdy. Hi. Good morning. What a great morning it is. Hey, Brian. Good to see you. All right. Uh, <laughs> you guys are new with us this morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the privilege of walking us through the Bible this morning. Uh, we've been in the study through the book of Matthew for the past year or so, and this morning we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 11 and finish off chapter 11. Um, if you guys want to turn there with me, we're going we're gonna to start this morning in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, but then we're going to back up and actually cover verses 20 through uh, 27 in a little bit. So I want to look at things a little bit differently this morning. Normally, I'd say let's read from the beginning to the end of the section, and then let's work our way through it, and let's talk about it um, in order. But this morning, I want to start at the end, and then I want to work backwards, and I think you'll see why in a little bit. But I, w I think you'd be an anomaly if you said that this last year hasn't impacted you at all. Anybody here this last year? Not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the last three weeks. I'm talking about like 12 months. You'd be an anomaly if you said that the last year didn't impact you at all. And for many people, this year has just been full of devastation. It's been full of strife. For some of you that are in this room this morning, you might be coming in here or tuning in online, and you're at a place in your life right now where you just feel absolutely, utterly worn out. I mean, you look at your life, and every direction just seems like there's strife. Uh, you, you may just find yourself here this morning and find yourself in a place where you're just weary. And oftentimes I get up here to preach on a passage and it's sort of like I'm supposed to get up here and tell you about how to live this out because I'm a pro at it, right? And I get to text like this and realize um, I'm far from a pro at it. It's the opposite of true. And I feel like I get up here sometimes to teach on Sundays and find myself being challenged by the same passage that I'm challenging you with. And so I, I don't um, want this morning to come across as though I've got this figured out, that I've got the corner market on how to rest because I really struggle in this area and I'm in process as much as the rest of you. But I will say this, that I think this passage we're studying this morning can often get mishandled and can often be cherry-picked from the Bible and just dealt with with three verses, 28, 29, and 30. If you've been in the church at all, you've heard these passages, you've probably memorized them, and find some solace, solace in these texts. If you haven't grew up in the church, grown up in the church, you've probably heard these passages before and maybe even memorized it. But people will often memorize this passage and never read what's prior to it, never read what's after it, not understand what Jesus is coming from when he gets to make this point in these three verses and not know what's coming after it um, in, in the message that Jesus is giving us. And so as I've been praying for our time together this morning, I wanted to share just a, a few thoughts from something that I've been wrestling with in my own life. And, and this year in particular, and that's in the area of rest. And so I don't want anybody to think that I've got it figured out, but I think I can confidently say that God's calling all of us this morning here to rest. He really is calling us to his rest this morning. For some of you, that, that whole notion uh, of rest seems like a foreign concept, like how in the world could I possibly attain that? And, 
You, you, you might think with everything going on in your, li- in your life, there's no possible way to actually find rest. And so I wanted to share in God's word this morning on this notion of rest for the weary. And so if you're able, if you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, um, you've got eyeballs, uh, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read verses 28 through 30, and then we're going to dig in and talk about it. Jesus says this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you guys with me? You're tracking with me this morning? All right, good. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who labor, all who work, all who strive and are heavy laden. There's got to be people in here this morning that, that can resonate with these words. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This word rest literally means to cease or to stop, to pause. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest again for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words from God himself. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to open it up and talk about it this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that it's your spirit that does the heavy lifting. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come do a work in our midst. I know that there are those who come there, come here this morning that find themselves at a place where they are just kind of worn out and they're weary. And uh, Jesus, they're desperate for some hope. They're desperate for some rest for their souls. And so I pray, Jesus, that you'd meet us in this place. I pray, God, that you would use not uh, the eloquence of my words, but your word to actually move in the hearts of your people, Jesus. And so we give this time to you, Jesus. We pray that you're honored uh, in our midst and that your word would go forth and do what you intended for it to do. It would not return void. It would actually accomplish something. It would do a heavier work inside of our hearts this morning. Uh, We give this to you, Jesus, and we pray in your name that you'd bless this time. Amen. So, in 2007, some of you may have heard this story before, but in 2007, a man named Joshua Bell did this little experiment. Joshua Bell is a Grammy award-winning violinist, um, world-renowned, and on a day in January of 2007, Joshua Bell goes down to a metro station in Washington, D.C., He pulls out a three and a half million dollar violin, and for 45 minutes, he starts playing six different pieces that were um, some of the greatest pieces of all time in this metro station in Washington, D.C. During this time, during this 45-minute stint, over a thousand people pass by him, people with busy lives coming by him to get on the the buses and the trains and, and to go their ways. But only seven people stopped to listen to him play. Out of a thousand, seven actually paused to listen to what he was playing. Interestingly enough, just a few days prior to this, he's heading, he was headlining a show in Boston where tickets sold for $100 a piece and he sold the place out. So here's this world famous violinist standing in this busy metro station with seven people out of a thousand stopping to listen to him and guess how much in tips he made in 45 minutes? $32. A man that sells out arenas at a hundred bucks a pop, playing a three and a half million dollar violin, six of the greatest songs of all time. 
The point of this whole experiment was to actually show that sometimes we can be so busy living our lives trying to get from point A to point B that we actually fail to pause. And we miss the opportunity to actually be in the presence of beauty, in the presence of greatness, and it's even more so when it comes to Jesus. Throughout the gospel writings of the life of Jesus, we see over and over again that Jesus is in the midst of people just like you and I, trying their best to live their lives. And so he's working among them, doing miracles among them. He's teaching some of the most prolific teachings of all time, and these people still continue to miss the point. They miss him. Particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus ministering among the Jews, we see him being rejected, and we see Jesus, uh, this opposition sort of mounting against Jesus in the book of Matthew. And Matthew chapter 11 is sort of this pivotal moment because we see in this chapter that this rejection and this opposition that's coming against Jesus that he's experiencing comes to a head, and it comes to a head especially amongst the religious leaders. And so as Jesus is experiencing this rejection and he's re experiencing this opposition, he doesn't respond with, with resignation. Jesus doesn't just peace out and leave, but Jesus actually responds with thankfulness with gratitude. Right before this passage in verses 25 to 27, Jesus says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus thanks the Father that, that he reveals the truth to those that are little children, those that are needy, those that are helpless, and he hides the truth from those that are wise and those that are understanding, those that would think of themselves as self-sufficient people. And it's interesting that, that prior to this passage on rest, there's this sort of unapologetic, declaration of the sovereign will of God over all people. In verse 28, Jesus focuses his attention on those who in verse 25 he calls the little children, those who weren't afraid to be vulnerable and who acknowledged that they actually needed him. And Jesus calls out to them and he says this, what we just read, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a bit of the setup. What image comes to you guys' minds this morning when you think of how to rest? What do you think about? For, for some, it might be taking a trip to the lake, or maybe it's going up into the mountains. Maybe it's taking a long weekend and catching up on your favorite Netflix show, or getting a massage, or whatever image comes to your mind when you think about this word rest. That might be our idea of rest, but that image would have looked a lot different for a first century Jew. For a first century Jew who was poor, who was oppressed, who was from a farming culture, they would not have had some sort of savings account built up that they could splurge enough to take this vacation. They would not have been able to run to the beach on a whim, that they wouldn't be able to sleep in, but yet they were still called to this idea of rest. And so when the Lord calls his people to rest, it's important for you and I to understand that he's not inviting them to vacation. That's 
our concept of rest, vacation, get away, go do something, peace out from the rest of life. Or at least not just vacation. But what Jesus is actually calling people to when he calls them to rest, he's actually calling them into how to engage life, not vacate it. How do you engage life as it is today, the real nuts and bolts of life, and still rest? How do you engage the nuts and bolts of life without escaping it, vacating it, piecing out, going and doing whatever it is you want to do so you can not have to think about life itself? And then there's this amazing invitation in verses 28 through 30 where we see Jesus explaining how to engage life, how to rest. And he gives these three directives of sort in this passage of how to rest. He says, you come. He says, you take, and he says, you learn. In verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. Well, who is Jesus talking to when he says, come to me? He's talking to all of those who are laboring, all of those who are heavy laden. Anybody in here feel that right now? All of those who are busy, who are going from point A to point B, constantly on the move. For for those who labor, those are the ones that are active in their pursuits in life, and they're weary. For those that are heavy laden, they're they're passive and their burdens are being placed on them and they're aware of who Jesus is and saying, no matter what the cause is of your weariness, he's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to wrestle for it because I'll actually give it to you. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to fight me for it because it's yours for the taking. I don't know about any of you parents in this room, but... Maybe you've had situations with your kids where they're trying to open a bag of cereal or a bag of chips or a bag of candy, and they grab this little bag, and their little hands are pulling on it so hard to try to make the bag open, but they can't get it open. Have you ever had that experience before? And your kids are just like fuming. They're like, oh, they're just like shaking, and they're trying to get this bag open, and they cannot get the bag open, and you keep telling them, give me the bag. Let me open the bag for you. And your kids stubbornly hold on to this bag and they fight and they grunt and they try to get it open and you keep saying, give it to me. I can actually open it for you. Your kids have these little kid-sized hands. They can't get the leverage on the bag that an adult can, but we're also experienced in opening bags. We've done it a hundred times, but your kids just keep fighting to try to open it while you continue to say, will you trust me? I've done this before, please give me the bag. And, and, and what, we're, what we're trying to tell them is literally stop toiling over something that I know that I can handle for you. Give it to the one who's actually able to give you what you're actually looking for. Jesus says, come to me. He says, I can do it, come to me. You can't handle your marriage. Come to me. You can't handle your grief and your sorrow. He says, come to me. You can't handle your your anxiety and your depression. He says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you what you're really looking for. I will give you real rest. And then the second directive that Jesus gives, he says, take my yoke upon you. For somebody who is tired That statement, take my yoke upon you, actually sounds a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because this yoke was a tool that was placed on oxen for farming and for pulling carts. And so it was this work tool. It was a burdensome tool. I don't know if we have it up on the screen. 
You can see that, like, we're not talking about an egg yolk here that Jesus is, like, swapping on you. It's a yolk. It's, 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 a, it's a farming tool. The, the oxen would go in, and they would use it to pull carts. And when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, like, take my yoke. That means you're sort of in the yoke with Jesus. Um, it's not burdensome. And Jesus offers this to those who are weary. Like, how in the world does that make sense to us sometimes, though? What would Jesus be doing here? He's not pulling some sort of bait and switch on us. Like, think how crazy it sounds to pile this on top of everything else in your life. Take my yoke on top of everything else that you're stressed out about, all your anxiety. I want you to actually take this on, too. Like, we're just going to keep on piling stuff. But here's the deal. Jesus isn't inviting the weary to put something on. He's inviting the weary to switch something out. Because for you, the yoke that you've been wearing is the the yoke of this life. It's the yoke of the world. It's the yoke of your job. It's the stress of life. You're allowing that to cloud everything else. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. And so it, it it might seem strange if you have this mindset that freedom in your life is no yokes at all, which I feel like is common nowadays. I don't want anything to have any sort of control over me, so I just want to be free. Sometimes people who don't know or don't believe in Jesus will say things like, you Christians have way too many rules. I'm just trying to live a free life. And what they're not realizing is that what they're describing is actually still a yoke. But a yoke of their own self-sufficiency. A yoke of dependence on themselves. Like they're still yoked to something, but they consider it freedom. And you can be wise in your own eyes, and you can live that way if you want, but Jesus isn't buying it. To those that actually understand their frailty, to those that understand their weariness from from this yoke of self-sufficiency, the yoke of do-it-yourself, true freedom is actually found in coming under the yoke that you were actually designed to have on you. It's his yoke. I wish we had more time to dig into this this morning, but I love the way um, a pastor, H.B. Charles, puts this. He says, is the tree really free when the fierce winds uprooted and deliver it from its bondage to the soil? Is the fish really free when the fisherman's hook catches it by its mouth and sets it free from its bondage to the water? Is the train really free when it jumps the track and is derailed and set free from its bondage to the train tracks? Absolutely not. And no soul is free if it lives in rebellion against the God that created us. If you're honest about weariness, rest is the only uh, rest is only found in submission to Christ, so take his yoke. In Jewish tradition, Jewish teachers, rabbis, w- would use this imagery of the yoke as this metaphor to actually coming under submission to the teachings of the law. And so for a Jewish audience, this would be a really annoying thing for Jesus to say because Jesus is basically saying, I've got a better yoke than the one that you have on now. Take my yoke upon you. And then the third directive that Jesus gives, piggybacking off that, is learn from me, he says. In verse 29, he says, learn from me. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and this word for learn is not so much what we want to believe. Uh, Jesus means something more than academia. He means something more than education when he says learn. Because for a Jewish teacher to invite 
discipleship, to invite a disciple, a rabbi, to invite a disciple to follow him. What he's saying in here is you don't just embrace content, you actually embrace personhood. It wasn't just about what you could get in your brain. It was about modeling your life after the rabbi that you're being discipled by. And so when a Jewish rabbi is inviting somebody into discipleship to follow after them, he's not simply saying, take the law and do the law. He's saying, take the teacher as well. Like it's a whole package deal. So students would devote their lives modeling themselves after this teacher, after a rabbi. They'd spend their days in the rabbi's house, like watching even how the rabbi, the rabbi would eat their meals. Like they, if the teacher had some sort of limp that they walked with, the student would even model it. Like every part of their life would begin to be formed around this rabbi, this teacher that they're being discipled by. Why would they do this? Because a Jewish teacher invites discipleship. He's not just saying, learn the law. He's actually saying, learn me, learn him. Jesus says, learn from me. Don't just take my lessons. Jesus is saying, take my life. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come, take, learn. In these few verses, Jesus is explaining how we rest but he also explains why we rest in the ways that we do. In verse 29 and 30, we see this word repeated a couple of times, and it's the word for. Like, did you see it in this passage? Like, scholars debate this meaning of these fours, but what scholars will say is that these fours, F-O-R-S's, are causal in nature. So in other words, why do we rest in him? But by coming and taking and learning. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I wish I, again, had time to dig into this. But Jesus says, come because I am gentle and lowly of heart. And what he's basically saying here is that I'm actually accessible to you. You can reach me. Like to a, to a weary soul that knows all too well how far out of reach relief actually is, Jesus says, you actually can reach me. Jesus is gentle. He's lowly. That's Jesus's heart. In a world that's in pursuit of a never-ending race to nowhere, Jesus says you can actually get to him, church. You can rest in Christ. And this means that we're confessing who really holds our lives together, who really shapes all things. So when I let go, I don't fall to pieces because he's the one that's actually holding all things together. He's gentle, he's lowly, he's accessible. He says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, like some crazy words. Again, my yoke is easy. The Greek word there for easy can often even be translated to this word kind. My yoke is kind, my yoke is easy. And now here's where I want to take a bit, a bit of a turn this morning, because I think we get that. If you've been around church long enough, you've heard this passage preached over and over again, and some of you have memorized this passage. And it sounds really good for us to just take those three verses and then leave here thinking, okay, I just need to rest in Christ. Like, this whole idea of rest, we sometimes pervert it into thinking, we're just going to leave here and we're going to begin to, like, watch more Netflix and take more time away from all of our friends. Now, whatever rest is for you, Jesus is talking about rest for your soul. And as we piggyback, uh, this verse piggybacks off of these eight-ish verses 
seven verses that come before it, we have to understand who Jesus is talking to and why he's talking about this idea of rest for the soul. And so I want to take this turn. Um, for some, you may read this and think uh, maybe it's intentional even that this was kind of a setup by Jesus to share this passage about rest in light of what he said before. And I, I believe that it's true that you can experience Jesus's rest without first acknowledging your need for the gospel truth. Like that, Jesus is gonna get at this. Like you, you wanna jump to rest and just have rest for your soul, I get it. But Jesus sort of lays out this gospel pattern prior to this leading up to that that would lead somebody to believe like there's more to this than me just taking in his rest. And so if you look back on verse 20, we'll start there and we'll blast through it fairly quick. Um, but if you're feeling like the last 20 minutes was a setup, you're kind of right. Uh, let's read it. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because why? It's on the screen. They did not repent. He denounced these cities because they did not repent. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? He says, you will be brought down to Hades or hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. He mentions all these Old Testament cities that God had sent prophets to pronounce judgment upon these cities. And he's saying to these other more modern cities at the time, man, if it would have been Tyre or Sidon, like, they wouldn't have been destroyed. Like if it would have been Sodom, they wouldn't have been destroyed. Basically saying, you guys are worse off than they are. And why would Jesus say that they are worse off than they are? Because Jesus knew they were cities that literally watched the miracles of God before their eyes. Joshua Bell was strumming a three and a half million dollar violin playing some of the best tunes in history right before their very eyes. And all of them kept walking by never to acknowledge who it was standing right before them. He goes on to say, verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's a lot. I think Jesus is presenting this perfect gospel pattern for us. It's the story of the good news of Jesus in 10 verses. As we've been reading through the book of Matthew thus far, Jesus' ministry is basically based out of this town called Capernaum. This is where the bulk of Jesus' miracles are done. These people saw his most miraculous works, and Jesus begins to denounce them. Capernaum, the home base for his ministry, Bethsaida, 
where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. A blind man is healed there. These were the cities that Jesus did all the miracles in that we read about in his life. And the frightening thing about this passage is that they were eyewitness to his work. They had front row seats to his word, work, to his work and nobody hadn't heard of the work Jesus had done. They all knew about it. And yet, what does Jesus say? They did not repent. And I get to text like this sometimes, like, especially with the word repentance and the word judgment. I feel like American Christians start squirming in their seats. Like, oh man, here he goes. It's hellfire and brimstone. We don't like the word repentance. We don't like the word judgment. These words sting. They're harsh. But the message that Jesus is giving is tethered to this passage in 28 to 30 that we started out with, that that we spent much of our time in. The rest comes when we're able to see Jesus as more than a miracle worker in our lives. He's somebody we know will actually return to judge the world, meaning Jesus has been given the authority by God the Father, to decide who will be granted eternal life with him in heaven and who will actually go to hell. And that's cut and dry the reality of Scripture. Who will put their trust and their faith in Jesus? And so there's this top section that speaks of the reality of eternity and hell for those that don't repent. Uh, This idea of repentance actually means to turn from. Repentance is our confession of a need for, uh, for God to save us and us choosing to turn to devote our lives to him, making him primary in our life, believing he is who he says he is, turning from our ways to Christ. And then there's these last few verses that speak of rest for the weary soul, tethered to all of this. And then sandwiched in between these two sections of Jesus rejecting those that don't repent and us finding rest for our weary souls in Christ is this passage revealing to us that the wise were the ones that missed it because they were dependent on their intellect. They knew it all and they basically did not need God. But the ones that God revealed himself to were the ones that were like what? Little children. A child realizes they can't do everything themselves and that they're dependent on their parents. But the faith that a child has is so remarkable. If You parents, you understand what I'm saying. And at this time, you had people that had seen with their own eyes Jesus. They'd watched him work amongst them and they still couldn't acknowledge him for who he was. And much like that Joshua Bell story, people treated Jesus the same exact way the greatest of greats performing before their eyes, yet people walked past him. People didn't even stop. They didn't even pause to hear one of the best musicians of our lifetime playing the most valuable violin, playing the best written music. They just walk by. And yet in that story with Joshua Bell, if you read it, the people that did stop of the seven were kids that they were people that were not in a hurry, people that were willing to pause, take in the moment, listen to the music, appreciate, appreciate the, the, the instrument that he's playing, appreciate the songs, understand who the man is that's actually playing it. And so before Jesus speaks of rest to our weary souls, he acknowledges a couple things. One, 
that repentance comes first. Like you, you turn to him, you devote your life to him. You don't just jump to receiving rest, you know the giver of rest first. And I think this is crucial. If you grew up in the church, we often want to take from Jesus whatever good thing he can give to us without us actually turning to him as our savior. Like, I want to cherry pick scripture. I want the love of God. I want the grace of God. I don't want to actually have to change course in my life at all. I don't want to actually have to surrender anything. I just want rest. Not really realizing that when he says rest for your soul, what's he saying? Do you want assurance that your eternity is spoken for? That your soul can rest in the fact that it is in the hands of the most high God. That no matter what happens to you on this earth, like no matter what craziness like abounds on this planet, your soul is secure in Christ and Christ alone. Second, that, that true rest wasn't found by the wise and it wasn't found by the understanding. It was those that were like children that saw Jesus as God their father People that were willing to stop, to cease, to acknowledge him, and to put him first. Third, that God the Father gave Jesus this authority to judge the living and the dead, and that the only people that will know God are those that choose to believe in the Son. That's it. The only way to God is through the Son. So there's this gospel pattern, simple, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and, and all will face judgment at some point in their life. God sent his son so that we could actually escape that judgment. We have to come to Christ and by faith follow him. And then we take on Jesus' yoke that's easy. We literally switch out the yoke of this world, the yoke of this life for the yoke of Jesus. But the question is this, will you come? Will you receive this invitation? Will you pause and allow yourself to be in the presence of such beauty and such greatness? Will you come to Jesus and find rest for your souls this morning? As I was preparing for the sermon, one of the things that stuck out to me is the fact that our church has probably doubled in size in a year. I probably do not know half the people that attend this church. I have no idea where you're at. But I continue to hear stories, and this is, if this is you, I'm not speaking to anybody specifically, but I continue to hear stories. We left our life in California. We came up here to start over again. We need to hit reset in our family, reset in job and career, reset in life. We need to reprioritize things. Church and God are one of those things that we need to make a priority in, their, in our lives because we think there's value to it. And as I begin to hear these stories, what I realize is, those words don't always equate to people that actually know Jesus. Those words equate to people that are desiring this rest for the weary soul. There's something being stirred up in them. But I want to encourage you this morning that the only way to actually receive that rest is to turn to Jesus, to surrender your life to him. Like uh, the first service, I literally was like saying these words and invited people to come forward. And this guy just like jumped out of his chair and like came down, I was like caught off guard. Just all the boldness, he came down and was just like, I'm ready. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who's out there that doesn't know Jesus first? Because one of the things you will not mistake if you're gonna be part of our church 
We do not want you leaving here thinking that you can partake in all, go and partake in all the gifts of God without partaking in God first. That's where we start. For some of you, this is like basic. You grew up in the church. But I'll challenge even you that grew up in the church. It is very easy to get to a place in your life where you have seen everything, experienced everything. Some of that's bad. Some of that's good. You become disillusioned. You become you, your heart is kind of jacked with unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness. You've seen it all, experienced it all. And much like the Joshua Bell story, you continue to come to church and come to group and surround yourself with Christian people and you see the goodness and the glories of God from the outside, but you won't jump in and partake of yourself. This morning, I felt like there was an invitation. It's both to those of you that do not know Jesus He's asking you to take the first step this morning. And it's to those of you that do, because might I plead with you this morning that as I preach this and I talk about rest for my weary soul, I'll be the first one to stand up here and say, I suck. <laughs> there are so many days that I'm just like busy my life with so many things that I myself do not stop, pause, cease, and just gaze at the wonders of who God is. Partake of real rest in the assurance of my soul versus me just trying to like rest my hurting back. <laughs> and some of you are here this morning and you're literally wrestling with the Lord. And I think this morning he's saying, come, take, and learn. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. And begin to learn from me and walk with me. Walk as I walk. Let's do this together. You're not in the yoke alone. It is not your yoke. You are not solo on this mission. You are on this mission with Jesus. You're not a solo person out there trying to make this happen on your own. Jesus says this, If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And so I'll end with this. We're going to bring the worship team up here. And we're going to spend some time singing. And for those of you that like feel bold and courageous enough, I'm going to say, come forward if you want to receive Jesus this morning. Come forward if you want to receive real, true rest for your soul that's only found in Jesus. For you guys that are Christians, some of you just need prayer and you need the reminder in your life because You've sought so much for the things of God that you forgot about God himself. And may this morning be a reset. I told the first service as we sing these songs, could we sing them in such a way that we acknowledge Jesus is the one front and center on the stage playing the multi-billion dollar violin, <laughs> some of the best hits of all time, the guy that would pack out arenas who knows what ticket price that deserves all our glory and our honor and yet it's so easy for us to come in and to see him and leave and so I'll ask you right now can you take your lunch plans your agenda for the rest of today for a brief moment can we stop and can we pause can we put Jesus front and center in our lives this morning and acknowledge him for who he is and not skip by him to try to just get on with our lives and do what he's told us to do.
there's some of you that he's just simply calling. He's saying, come. Come. And you know it in your hearts this morning that he's calling you, come. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. He wants to provide rest for your soul. Would you guys stand with me? do this often enough, but I would just say if you're here this morning and you want to take the first step to acknowledge who Christ is and devote your life to him, I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to have some of our elders up here, some of our staff. Like We would be honored to pray with you, and please don't look at this as like some humiliating experience. We are the church. We rejoice when one is added to heaven. <laughs> and then for you believers, if Jesus is just reminding you this morning. He's resetting your own heart, reminding you that your rest is only found in him. It won't be found in your vacations and all your plans to try to force yourself to rest. The real rest is for your soul, and it's only found in Jesus. And if he's inviting you this morning, come. And I ask you, come down. Let's pray for one another. Let's be church. Let's not take this mission on ourselves. Let's look around at the other couple hundred in this room and go, this, this is the family that God has put me on this earth to live life with. I'm not on a solo mission. He's asked me to get in the yoke with him, to be surrounded by people that will continue to push me towards Jesus, encourage my walk with him, teach me to walk like Jesus, to live with Jesus, to be one with him. And if you're here this morning and need prayer, I invite you forward this morning as we go into this time of worship. So let me pray for us. And again, if you need prayer this morning, we're down here and we'd love to do so. Jesus, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for the reminder for myself this morning, God, as I scramble so hard to try to reorganize my life and do this and that, to try to find rest. The reminder for me is that I rest in you, Jesus. And may we be a people that could stop this morning and pause and acknowledge you for who you are as you play the multi-billion dollar violin right before us. God, may we not be the people that would just come and see and leave, but people that would come and see and then get in the yoke with you. Lord, I thank you for each soul represented in this room, and I pray your blessing upon their life. I pray, God, that you anoint the marriages and the relationships in this room, that they be used for your kingdom purposes, Jesus, that others would come to know you as a result of those in this room continuing to walk in the yoke with you, Jesus. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would not be a religious people, a people constantly heaping our own burdens upon others, but a people that are always reminding others that the burden we carry is the yoke of Jesus, which is light. And he's inviting us this morning, those that are heavy laden, that have labored, to take his yoke upon him, to come to him to find rest for our weary souls. Jesus, I pray that you be with us as we leave and we would truly find rest in you.